Here we are in February. Can you believe it? It is unbelievable that we are uh, this far into the year, isn't it? Doesn't it seem like that, uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be this far along? It's just speeding by. But in February, you know, we are often reminded of hearts, aren't we? We are reminded of hearts in February. It's a significant love month for us uh, because of Valentine's Day. And so we are reminded of sweethearts. We're reminded of lonely hearts. We're reminded of, uh, in fact, one of my friends that was single when we were in, in Las Vegas, became a good friend of Michelle and I, uh, she used to call um, Valentine's Day uh, sad day. It's single awareness day, right? <laughs> There's no other time that you're aware that you're single than in the month of February, right? When all this stuff is going on uh, and uh, all the commercials and all the things that are leading up to uh, what's happening. Uh, happy story on that good friend. She uh, found a life mate. They have two children now. Beautiful story. Uh, God uh, has done a great work in their life. Good Christians. They love God with all their heart. Um, we are, so we are, we are told that, you know, there are lonely hearts, there are big and little hearts, but most importantly are the chocolate hearts that come in those boxes, right? That's what's important about February. Uh, we are told by poets with respect to hearts that we are to follow our hearts. We're told by poets that we're to listen to our hearts. We're told by poets that we are to be true to our hearts. And so that we might begin today by sharing a truth with you about your heart that is revealed here in this passage. And that is that what is inside your heart is taking you somewhere. Whatever is inside your heart, whatever is the source of, of your heart, is taking you somewhere. Now, you may or may not want to go where your heart is taking you. All of us in this room have experienced this, and I certainly have, that I've been greatly discouraged and disappointed when I wasn't paying close attention to where my heart was leading me, and I found out that I didn't necessarily want to go where my heart was leading me in that moment. Now, how many of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump? Let's try it again. How many of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump? I'll, everybody, okay. How many of you have been to the restaurant uh, that kind of celebrates Forrest Gump? And you know that uh, whenever you're hungry, you put that little sign up that says, Run, Forrest, Run. Well, you, you remember the story uh, that, uh, about that, or you remember the movie in that scene where Forrest begins to run. He is running, passionately running, and running and running and running. He runs for weeks. He runs for months. And, and no one really knows why he's running, but it begins to inspire the world. And people are, are learning about him running uh, through television and radio. And soon there are people that are following on him, him on his run. They're inspired by his commitment just to run. But nobody really knows why he is running. And after hundreds of miles of running, he suddenly stops somewhere in the Arizona high desert. And, uh, you know, he's, he's all done with his running. The problem is, Forrest Gump lives in Alabama. It's a long walk home from Arizona to Alabama. And what I began to think about was that, you know, for all of us, when we are following our hearts, when we're following the leading of our hearts, we can discover, and everybody has the story to a greater or lesser extent, and you know people who have it to a greater extent, maybe you personally have it to a lesser extent, where you have followed your heart so far down the road that it takes a good portion of your life just to get back to your starting point when you wake up. 
When there's an awareness that your heart is leading you where you need, need not go or where you should not go, then it takes a long journey like Forrest Gump from Arizona to Alabama to get back home where your starting place is, where you can begin life afresh and anew. And there are people that you know, that I know, that have wasted large sections of their life wandering away with their heart, and then it takes another significant chunk of their life just to get back to starting point. They're fighting addictions. They're fighting, uh, you know, uh, a bad decisions of their life that have, have them in a, in, a, in a marriage that is abusive or destructive. And just to get back to a starting place requires a long healing journey of their life just to get back to a starting place. You know where your heart is taking you. A warning from the prophet Jeremiah ends this section that we just read uh, about your heart. He says in Jeremiah 17 and 9 there, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? Here's the question for us to contemplate this morning. What is it that God knows about your heart that you don't know? What is it that God knows about your heart that you need to know? He begins this passage by saying, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Here's what God knows about your heart. God knows that your heart, your heart's leader, whatever is leading your heart, is the difference between being a blessed man or woman and a deceived man or woman. Whoever is leading your heart, that is the difference. Often in Scripture, Jesus refers to this, your treasure is, is where your heart is. He, whatever is, is, is leading you along, you are sourcing from that to make decisions about life, to move forward, to advance, to, to uh, say yes to things and say no to other things. Do you know that both idolatry and true worship are born in the heart of mankind? Both of those. Either... You know, we are pursuing idols, and I'm not talking about those carved out of stone, but it could be a career, a, a relationship that, that is destructive. Uh, it, it could be the pursuit of money. It could be anything that we have put up as idolatry in our life. But it is born in the heart, sourced from what we are choosing to lead us. And both worship of God is also born in the heart, sourced from what we are anchored to and fed by. So Jeremiah, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, gives us the pathway to a godly heart. When we put our trust and our hope in the Lord, we are on the pathway for a godly heart. He says, "...for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters." which spread out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but it will leaf, uh, its leaf will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease from its yielding. Where you put roots down will have eternal implications. What you are sourcing for life and growth is going to have eternal implications ramifications for all of our lives. Will your heart put down roots by the river? 
the source of life, or will it put roots down in a barren land hoping for occasional rains to sweep by? The psalmist declared something very interesting when we think about the source of the river. Psalms 46, verse 4, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God and holy habitation of the Most High. What is he talking about there? He's talking about God wants to be that source that we root from and that we grow from. His very habitation, His presence, will guide and direct and strengthen us to grow and to become what, what we are to become and what God has designed us to be. And wherever we are moving in a direction that is outside of our design and function, there is unhappiness. We're seeing it all over our nation right now. There are people who are pursuing things outside of how God has designed them, how God has equipped them and prepared them and made them. Often said, if you want to know the purpose of a thing, don't go ask another thing. You know, you're, you're not going to be helped by asking me your, your, your purpose, uh, a human being asking a human being. But as, as we both source through God who made us, we can learn who we are, right? If we were to um, have come out of the, the past as a caveman or a cavewoman and somebody handed us a match, have no idea what to do with that. The first thing we would do is probably what babies do is try to eat it, right? But we, we kind of, you know, we, we laugh at Eleanor or Allison when they were little, just everything goes in the mouth, right? Every single thing, like, you know, first touch it and then look, oh, let's see what it tastes like. You know, that's the very next, next thing. And that's what we would probably be doing. Somebody handed us a match. We've never seen it. But if we were handed that match by the person who invented it, the person who designed it, the person who made it, they could explain to us what, how it works, show us, and then hand us another one that we could do the same kind of thing, produce fire. If you want to know the purpose of a thing, don't ask another thing. Ask God. He is the source. So what we have when we're reading here is, this is where religion becomes relational. When we are planted by the riverside that he's talking about. This is where we literally put into practice what we are asked to do. And it no longer becomes then religious exercise, that we gather together to, to do things because we're religious. We don't just wear a cross because we're religious. We don't just carry a Bible because we're religious. We don't just go to church because we're religious. All of these things begin to happen because we are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's relational. So whatever is stored up is going to flow out. The godly man brings out good things from his good source that he's anchored in. The evil man brings out evil from the evil that is stored up inside of him. If the tree is good, the fruit will also be good. It's interesting here where he says just those, those three words, will not fear, will not fear. It, it's interesting in this season for us because we are still living in, in, in this, this incredible fear, fear in, in our nation and in our world about the unknown, 
And it's not just the virus, that's enough, that's huge. And, but there are so many unknowns in, the, in our economy right now. And there are people that are struggling to get their minds around what they need to do next because they are driven by fear. In, the, um, in 1999, just before Y2K, how many of you lived long enough to remember that? Um, okay, I'll tell you a secret about me. Okay, so uh, yesterday we sold my Y2K generator. I've had it that long. And uh, somebody was so happy to get it. <laughs> Still in the box. <laughs> All of us, you know, even, even the measured fear, right? I mean, you know, and, and I think there's wisdom in being prepared. I'm not saying don't be prepared. But we had some people, we had a couple of families in our church that um, the world was coming to an end, man, at, at 2000. So they, they had sold everything they had, their homes, uh, cashed in their 401ks. And they went out into uh, the remote parts of Arizona, and they bought a land. They bought land there. They dug down wells. And, you know, so now they have been there uh, since the year 2000. They, um, they have done that. They, they felt like th when it rolled over to 2000, the world was going to end. You know, uh, all the computers were going to crash. All jobs would end. Planes would just fall out of the air and uh, all those kinds of things. So we have always had these seasons, haven't we? And I, I'm not mocking anyone, right? I'm just saying, this is, this is legit. We fear. We are people of fear. Talked about the caveman a moment ago. They, they would have lit that match and been afraid, right? We are people of fear. That's more natural to us. It's a more natural instinct than, than to not fear, right? And he says, of those who are planted by the source of those who are growing in Christ, they will not fear. What is it? Trust brings peace. But fear reveals a trust problem, right? So as I, I honestly said at the beginning of this, for all pastors even, going through this season that we have been going through, there's been some talk and some fearfulness among pastors. What is the church going to look like? Are we going to be able to survive? Are we financially going to be able to pay expenses and bills? Who is being touched by what happens? What's happening online? I have no idea. Are, are people being saved? Is, you know, are people answering the call of God? Are they deepening their commitment to the Lord? Is anybody even watching? You know, is, there, uh, you know, is, is this what happens? That somebody turns it on and then they start making breakfast and that's... You know, they catch every other word, or maybe, you know, uh, are they in, entering into worship? Are they worshiping the Lord? There are so many unknowns, and so um, this, is, this has been taking place uh, with pastors too. But it reveals to me and to all of us that fear, when it's happening in our lives, there's a trust problem. And it's caused my prayer life to increase and to anchor deeper into the source and to say, God, I want to be like this. I do not want to fear. I want to live in confidence and not fearfulness. The fear of man, it says in Proverbs 29, verse 25, lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And there have definitely been seasons in this time where I've felt very warmed and secured and safe in God where Michelle and I have really felt we're anchored right 
and, and, and we felt safe and confident. Early on when the pandemic hit, we felt the boldness to go into places that many might not go, where people were sick and hurting and, and to carry uh, what was needed for them to lift them up and to encourage them. And we felt a peace about it. We felt a confidence about it. God stirred our heart as a church, and, and Hannah had come to me and said, we need to make masks and, and, and help people. And this was before they were readily available for everyone. And uh, it was such a blessing to participate and to feel confident that God was leading us. My question for you, though, is how can you know your heart is leading you in the ways of God? And in this passage, we're told how we can know that we're being led by our heart in the ways of God. Three things that Jeremiah talks about here. He says, your leaf will be green. You will not be anxious in the year of drought, and you will be yielding fruit. Green. We're about to, well, looking forward, uh, I can't wait for spring, right? I was even looking for flowers, and uh, to my dismay, there are none, you know, not many. In, uh, you know, uh, Home Depot or some of these other places, because they're not as ready for spring yet as I am. <laughs> They see a few more cold days and that those plants will not survive, right? Uh, and so there's very little choice. There's not a lot out there right now to go and get uh, to green your yard up and make it look nice. But one of the signs that you are being led right by the Lord in your life is, is the sign of green growing signs of, in your life. What does that mean? Even from a distance, people will be able to see Christ at work in your life. Christ at work in your life through trials, through difficulties, through challenges that take place in your life. People will be able to see that, visibly see Christ at work in you, in your life, working. And that's a sign right there that you are growing. There's life in you. There's the life of Christ. So when you've been beat up, when difficult times have come, we've come through as a family a season of, of, of kind of grief. We've had some loss in our family, and then there's been some tragedy. Some of you are uh, more aware than others that were on the prayer team that have been praying for uh, Ebenezer and, and you know my uh, nephew and, and others that uh, in our family that have really been going through it. And so, uh, but people can see in those seasons the growth that is in your life, the stability, the trust, the confidence. None of these things have caused us to say, to despair and to say that, oh, there's no God, you know, let's go try something else. None of it has because we are anchored in Him. And then it says, not anxious. What a joy it is to live among people that trust God. No matter what's happening in the world around you, they're not running around like their hair is on fire. But there are four things that people who are anchored in Christ are doing that cause them not to be anxious. Okay, four things that they're doing. If you want to write them down, you can write them down at home here on campus. First, they're people who assess. They assess the situation. They're able to step back. They don't, they don't immediately react. When we react, we often will do the wrong thing, right? So they take a step back and they assess the situation. They look at it, see what is really going on. And then they pray in community. God, how do you want us to respond? 
You know, we, I have been reached out. I've prayed more. My prayer life has gotten really good, man, over 2020 and 2021. People have reached out to me, uh, personal messages, online. I mean, I feel like every day I'm praying, if it's not my own family and things like that, I'm praying towards needs of people that I've known and have relationships with over the years that are really hurting and suffering and going through difficult times or family members they have are going through it. And so we've been praying. We've been praying as a community. And I, man, I talked about it last week. Your prayers have made a difference. All of us together, there's literally been hundreds, maybe thousands that have been praying for Ebenezer and uh, still continue to pray. He's at second level ICU. Third level would be even better, but they're, they're, they're working on him. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of uncertain things. But we're grateful God spared his life. We're grateful for what God has done to this point. And we thank you for your prayers. Prayer works. And so we want to pray in community. It's not just me talking to God. That's great. I, you know, God and I have a good time talking. But I love it when the community is praying. And we're praying towards God's will and his obedience throughout our lives. And the third thing they do is act in obedience to God's word. Assess Step back and assess what's really going on. Pray in community. Third, act in obedience. They're putting to action what God's Word says. This is not a resource book they're pulling off the shelf when, when it's convenient. It is something that they're beginning to live out day by day and moment by moment. And the fourth thing is they trust in God. And this, this sounds, you know, we can throw this thing. This is important because after you have, after you have assessed big situation. It's uh, bigger than me. I can't do anything about it. I need to talk to God, <laughs> right? And then I need to act in obedience. There are things that I can do, and then there are things that only God can do. And that's where trust comes in, right? There's two sides of that coin. When you run into uh, difficult and impossible situations, there are things that we can do. We can take care of ourselves, maintain a right attitude, and a right spirit. We can ask for help when we need help. Uh, we, can, we can encourage others around us. There are just things we can do, even when in the midst of something impossible, right? But the, the impossible part is what we can't do, right? And that's where we trust. And we say, God, I've done what I can do. What I need is you to come and do what only you can do, right? So we assess, and we pray, and we act, and we trust, and that makes us not anxious. We're not anxious. We're not living as those who are filled with anxiety over every single thing that's going on because we have, we, have, we have done all of these. We've assessed the situation. We've turned it over to God. We are acting in obedience to him, and where we can't do it, God is going to do it. And then the, the third thing that happens there for people who are anchored you know, in the source and are being there to show you that your heart's being led by God as it says you're fruitful. In John chapter 15, we're told that uh, of the benefits of abiding in Christ. And here it is for both men and women. Uh, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you are my disciples. John 15 and 18. You bear much fruit. Those who are uh, following their heart as God is leading, are fruitful. You see the fruit, uh, the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the long-suffering, those are fruits of the Spirit. 
But you also see the fruit in the discipleship, the people that are around them, that they're mentoring. And, uh, you know, it could be their children. It could be other people that are watching your life, friends, uh, coworkers, uh, family members that are, are, are not really where they need to be, but they're maturing and learning more about Christ as they're watching your life. But also the fruit of, of leading people to Christ, into a personal relationship with Christ Jesus. You know, as we uh, get ready, uh, you know, to launch into the season of um, Easter, you know, we're going to talk more about relaunching us as a church and participating in inviting people into the presence of God and, and into life change, right? It's so much more effective when you and I are doing, are being fruitful, churches grow. If we are, you know, when I first went to work, um, we, we had a small business, and I, I started this small business, and, and the first day of work there, uh, one of the, the people who had helped uh, get the franchise set up had a conversation with me, and they said, you know, if you stand here behind the cash register and wait for people to come in that door, you're going to lose this business. It's like, really? I thought, you know, you, you put all the cool stuff in the store, uh, you unlock the doors, turn the open sign on, and then you just start ringing it up, right? Because money just starts pouring in. Here they come, I said. And he says, no, you're going to go broke. He says, you need to bring some people that you can pay uh, minimum wage or a little bit above minimum wage to run this register, and you have to get out and go get the business. And when I really understood that, it sunk in. There was, there was one day, just one day, where I went out on a call, and I was able to secure $2,500 for our business. One day, one call. Went into a business and told them everything that we could do for them. And in that one day, $2,500. If I had stand beside the cash register that whole day and paid myself $8 an hour, $10 an hour, $12 an hour, $15 an hour, whatever you want to put in the blank, right? And I'm just waiting for the people to come in. Uh, it would have been a poor day, a very bad day. In fact, the same day that I brought $2,500 into the business, that business uh, that day only made $600. By going out, I brought $2,500 into it. We... God is compelling us. We have a beautiful campus. We have an awesome place here for people to learn about Jesus Christ. Are we going to sit here and wait for them to find us? Are we going to hope they find the website? Or are we going to be fruitful and bring them in and invite them in? We cannot know our hearts. Nor can we know what we will do in the hour of temptation. But there's good news. God is not deceived. He knows your heart. Inside and outside. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? invite our worship team to uh, prepare to come back. If we put our trust in Him, if we put our trust in Him and allow Him to lead our hearts, 
We're never going to regret the destination where God is leading us and where God has taken us. We're not going to have to waste a good portion of our life just to get back to the starting point. If we will put our faith and trust and confidence in the Lord and anchor by the river, we're going to be led moment by moment in the direction that God wants us to go. Listen to me this morning. Right now, just blocks from where we're sitting, right? There are people of all ages who have followed their unredeemed hearts to heartache. Their hearts are broken and wounded and damaged because they followed their heart. They did what the poets said. Follow your heart. Listen to your heart. And they went off after what they thought their heart wanted and what would satisfy them. But the leader of their heart had in mind destruction. The leader of their heart had in mind to break them down, to destroy them, to tear the, them down to, to the, the very base of who they are and to make them vulnerable and to hurt and to wound. That was his plan. In this room, there are people that are watching and, and both online that we know and love and care about who are wondering where their hearts are leading them. Where is my heart going? And if you get rooted by the river, the promise of scripture is that you will not fear the future. You will not live in regret over the past or be anxious about the present. That's the promise of scripture. You will be fruitful and you will be anchored in the source. I wanna invite you to stand with me this morning and we're going to invite Jesus to lead our hearts. Right now, there are some who are here and some who are online that we need to take just a moment to repent for allowing our hearts to be led and directed other than God sourcing our life and moving us in a direction that we were not intended that he had not designed, that he does not want for our lives. And he's inviting us right now to, to a starting point in him that's fresh and new. That we don't have to waste our life trying to get back to starting point A, but right now we can surrender and begin with him afresh and anew. The Bible says what happens in, when we do this is that old things pass away and all things become new in him. <coughs> my brother has a, a daily five-minute program that he leads his uh, church in and it's online and in the mornings at 8.30 on Arizona time and he always ends it by saying, you may not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but I have good news for you. <laughs> good news, that's what the gospel is, is good news. I have good news for you, you can start today. Lord Jesus, we invite you. Come and be the Lord and the leader and the source of our lives. That we may not be led astray, as our hearts may not be led astray. Not following after heartbreak, but following into your presence. We invite you, Lord, to do a work in us, to get us at the starting point right now. That we can be all you've called us to be and live according to what your plan and your purpose is for our lives. In Jesus' name.